I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. In an era of online retail where everything is just a few clicks away, buying a car should be no different. That's why at Carvana, you can buy a car 100% online. We made it easy to browse, view, and buy from over 10,000 cars. You can even trade in your old car, all while binge-watching your favorite TV show. Afterwards, we'll deliver your car to you. Or you can pick it up from one of our car vending machines. Either way, your car comes with a seven-day return policy. So grab a seat, relax in your comfy pants, and enjoy the new way to buy a car at Carvana. Stay little chico, pit boom, Mr. 305, but I said Mr. Worldwide, you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC, let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken and you know, that's fire. Now, Babo, you know that you could get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on Negative to Positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. And it starts with the screenplay. So what was it about making your ninth film, writing your ninth film, that made this the most personal and more than just a love letter to Hollywood? Well, um, it was interesting because um, I had a story I wanted to tell. But since I actually was alive in 1969 and since I actually... I didn't live in Hollywood. We lived in Alhambra. We lived in East L.A., but we would visit Hollywood. I remember in 69, um, I remember the first time I ever went to the Grammas Chinese was 1969 to see um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. 
And I even remember my stepfather, who's, who had a Carmen Ghia, like the one that Brad drives. And that's why Brad has that, character, has that car. Um, was you know, him even like telling me, well, you and Quentin, you know, it's this big movie theater there that uh, it's really famous. And, you know, people, and then the movie stars would go there and put their hands and footprints in the uh, cement. So, like, when I even showed up, I even knew about that concept before I went to the Grauman's Chinese because he told me about it. And I remember, like, putting my hands in Roy Rogers' uh, handprints and his boot prints. Um, but I do remember Los Angeles back then. And so part of the fun of it was treating it like a memory piece where it's just, okay, what do I remember? What do I remember about the radio? What do I remember about the billboards? What do I remember about the songs? And actually, it's, but it's the things a six-year-old would remember. So I'm not remembering the Vietnam War at six. I'm not remembering all these uh, cata- uh, catalog of incidences that happened in, uh, during that time period. I remember, you know, and like, you know, there was a lot of boring-ass shit back then, too, as far as, like, the billboards are concerned. That's not the stuff I'm remembering, I'm remembering the cool shit, all right? So my movie's just filled with the cool shit. <laughs> Leonardo and Brad, what was it about, about Rick and Cliff that you guys just, like, your, your bond felt so genuine that you just got these guys, like, effortlessly? We're really good actors. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, I mean, just, I have such great respect for Leo, and he says he does for me, and I believe him. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of we all started around the same time and um, crossed paths throughout the, throughout the years. And, and I think what was automatic for us, just being in this business and, and how much we rely on our, our friends, our close friends, I mean, there's so much downtime, there's so much sitting around. Just to keep our sanity, to keep us humble, um, to keep laughing. And it was just pretty much automatic for us. I, yeah, I would absolutely say to say, you know, I, first off, you know, Brad and I have been fortunate enough to be doing this successfully for a long period of time now, but we do remember the days of, of you know, kind of starting out in this industry, and I felt like we automatically kind of knew this story implicitly and instinctively, and we knew what this relationship was. It was... We discussed it, we talked about it, Quentin gave us this amazing booklet of our entire past, everything we'd been through, every movie we've worked on together, and it was just this kind of automatic connection that Brad and I had with who these men were. We knew the dynamic of somebody that's not only there to protect you and is your best friend, but is also your psychiatrist, and (laughs) you rely on that person implicitly for everything, and... uh, because this is, you know, this is an industry that could be, uh, you know, incredibly lonely at times. And those relationship dynamics are kind of what make you survive and are able to nav- navigate in this industry. Well, in terms of uh, production design, you know, Barbara, you know, what, I've, been out, I've been living in L.A. for about 30 years or so. And, and, you know, so much about L.A., especially Hollywood, some of it really does look the same if you don't look too close. And, and obviously some of it you really had to, to build so what conversations did you, did you have at the start of it about, about capturing Hollywood, especially Hollywood in 69, and talk about what was built from scratch versus what was still there, just modified a little bit? Uh, well, we'll start it by saying that 
Quentin remembered the cool shit right away, and the, he knew specifically uh, restaurants, uh, certain marquees he wanted to bring back. You know, all of this was really memories of Quentin, and even the valley pieces, places that he drove as a child. And his great line to me once was, you know, when we're looking at things, just imagine, uh, you know, an eight-year-old laying down in the back of his mother's car, and he, what he sees, that's his point of view. So we pretty much had that point of view almost all the time, is that you're looking out, signage, things that you're driving by. Um, Hollywood Boulevard, we put back the marquees, and that was building back onto buildings where they weren't there anymore, and then facading a lot of the, the uh, storefronts to try to bring back some of the iconic record stores, tattoo parlors, all the things that kind of existed at that time. <laughs> this was the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Hollywood Boulevard, to be there and witness that, I, I don't think I'll ever forget experiencing what it was like to do a complete time warp with six blocks of Hollywood Boulevard sectioned off. I mean, having, and ha, having grown up and been a native of Los Angeles, it was, I mean, I grew up in the 70s and 80s here, but it was amazing. My, I got to throw my father in, who's still a hippie. And, yeah. <laughs> he was walking amongst the streets there. It was one of the most incredible, you know, nostalgic experiences I've ever had. Wait, so wait. I never got a chance to tell you how amazing we, that was. We were sh- I didn't either, and it was. And not only that, it was like you would see the bus stops, and then behind the bus stops was the, the facades, and in the, in the facades of the storefronts, little pamphlets. I mean, it was stuff that you would never pick up, but you could feel. It, it, was, it was truly, truly amazing. And to be able to fly down with no speed limits, Hollywood Boulevard was great. How did you shut down Hollywood Boulevard? Like, how, how, and how did you sort of close off some of the, some of the freeways? You know, I mean, that, that's got to be a gargantuan task. It was. I mean, that, the location department um, worked really hard. And really, Hollywood Boulevard was uh, kind of the key to that, was having Quentin be able to address the Chamber of Commerce. Well, Locations had this huge meeting with uh, the Chamber of Commerce and all the mucky mucks of Hollywood who were determined to say, no, we could never close this down. And Quentin was generous enough to say, well, if I can help, I'll go. But they didn't want, he didn't want Quentin to be seen right away. He wanted to put his location department's paperwork in, say we could do this, this, and this. And then he said, could I have one person walk up here and give you one more thing? At that point, Quentin, who had to unfortunately hide in the closet for what became almost an hour because, because it took so long to address them, popped out and, um, and then gave his speech. Like Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. I was waiting for you to say that. I said my name three times and I just showed up. So, so. No. And within minutes, you know, they said, please leave the room. They came back and they said, you've got it. I mean, Quentin's speech did it in. <laughs> this, uh, this film, how many, uh, Victoria, how many uh, roles did you cast? And how long did it take you to cast from start to finish? I worked on it over the course of maybe five to six months, I would say, something like that. And we kind of cast pretty steadily throughout it with little breaks where I think, Quentin wanted to just kind of let things settle 
before making a decision on certain other roles. Uh, and then some of the things just took the time that they took. You know, so. Can I bring up one thing about uh, uh, Vicky and the casting? Uh, this might be actually interesting as far as like a nuts and bolts of how we had to do something. When it came to casting uh, uh, the kids that played the Manson kids, one of the things about it is we weren't letting the August section of the script out. So we have a whole bunch of the Manson kids that show up in that section, but we can't just give them the script. So um, we had to kind of figure out who we're going to do. So like two of the roles that we actually were giving out was uh, Margaret's role of uh, Pussycat, because people were auditioning for that, and the squeaky role all right, that uh, Dakota ended up playing. So those ones, we could let that material out to actors. And so the whole idea was we had pretty much every gal in town who would be eligible of the right age come, and they read either Squeaky or uh, Pussycat. And then the idea was to look at all of their Pussycat and Squeaky um, um, uh, auditions and then figure out, okay, who's our Sadie from this? Okay, who, uh, who, uh, who's our uh, Patty Krenwinkle from this? And just figuring out how, who all the other people would be by them reading those roles. Or we also threw to them, okay, but you can also come in as your favorite Manson girl. Uh, believe me, actually, there's a lot of young actresses that have a favorite Manson girl. Uh, 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 come in as your favorite Manson girl and then just talk to me as her, and I will just answer you answer, ask you questions, and you answer as her. Okay, so, but in terms of, of finding Margaret and, and Julia Butters, I mean, and Sam Wanamaker, I mean, you yeah. know. Oh, like Nicholas, Nicholas Hammond, Hammond man. Yeah, the, man. Awesome. the man. The man. The uh, man. Peter Parker. With Peter Parker, I mean, you know, Sound of Music. So, okay, how did you zero in on Margaret Qualley and, and Julia Butters? They are such standouts. Well, with Margaret, we didn't zero in right away. I, th I think we were a little confounded about who was going to play that part because the actress we originally wanted for it was not available for the dates. So we had her play a smaller role that did fit in with, with her dates. Um, and I think Quentin just was looking over tapes again as we were trying to figure out who this was going to be. And you came across Margaret again and uh, went well, well, it was kind hiding of in plain sight. It's an interesting thing because, uh, you know, it can be a negative to casting. You get this whole aspect, especially if it's, it's one thing when you're in the room and a zillion people come in and you have this personal experience with them. But by that point, we had kind of moved on, so we were, like, shooting. And so all of a sudden, I'm getting a bunch of, uh, like, DVDs of all these people coming in and doing a scene. And then it's very easy to kind of get in this acting school kind of attitude where you're sitting down and watching a bunch of people do the same scene and who won the scene. You kind of think like that. And when Margaret did it, I didn't think, when my first go-around watching it early on, I didn't think she won the scene. Other people jumped out at me that kind of like, you know, like in an acting class. Bah, nailed it. Yeah, bro, I killed it. All right. They kind of had that kind of thing. So when we were kind of up in the air again, I decided to re-watch the DVDs kind of all over again. And then I, then I could see what Margaret was doing. Because she doesn't really deliver the scene like, okay, cooked, like the, the, the casserole is cooked and baked and everything is perfect and here you go, eat it. It's not, see, it wasn't done, a done project like that. But it was behavior. She just had the behavior. I mean, almost as if the character that I based it on had taught her how to behave before she did the audition. And I was actually embarrassed that I didn't see it the first time around. 
you know, the, the costume design for this film is such a reflection of, of so much going on because you have the unkempt look for, the, for Spawn Ranch. You have the uh, old guard look for Rick. You have the uh, natural look for Cliff. As, I mean, that Hawaiian shirt and champion T-shirt, I, I was looking for that, and I got this instead. It's the closest I could find. Uh, Champ, how did you find like the, to zero in, especially on Cliff's look? Well, it all starts with the script, right? With Quentin's incredible, richly layered characters. There's so much. You know, costumes really are about creating character, right? So they illustrate the character. I always think costumes need to serve two purposes. Visual, of course, tell the story, move the story along, underscore tone and feeling, but also to act as a beam-me-up suit for actors, a tactile experience to help them get there. I always think that in the best-case scenario, it can help them get there. Um, so this was like an embarrassment of riches because of the variety. Every day was like Christmas, you know, or maybe Hanukkah, right? Eight days. Like every day was um, a new character. The casting was amazing. Um, and it was just a fucking blast. I, for me, I always loved to start with the character from the shoes up because to, uh, it was like based on an old quote I had seen where Laurence Olivier said he always started with his characters from the shoes up. And I always thought that was really cool because it informs how we carry ourselves. And so thinking about Rick and Cliff and their shoes um, knowing that they would get on film and, you know, being it's a Quentin film and um, that was super exciting to me, you know, the, the idea that uh, Quentin and I talked about, uh, Rick maybe stole his boots from Bounty Law, and he's, you know, the thing about cowboy boots, you feel like a badass, he wears cowboy boots almost throughout the film till the end, and then you have Cliff who, um, you know, he's a support guy, he's a stuntman, and he's a badass, and he has this incredible um, reputation that we're kind of unsure about and what's the most badass thing that a guy who is so um, intimidating he is to have a soft shoe right that's just so ridiculously um, badass to me like it's not a shit kicking boot it's like a bad so the idea of the moccasin which also just hearkened to the time that Cliff isn't maybe quite as out of the loop as Rick is he's a little you know, Quentin and I, Quentin talked to me about this, so he's a little cute into what's doesn't quite happening. have the antagonism towards the hippies that, that Rick does. So, so, <laughs> so it's great. I mean, you have all these, you know, biographical, you know, real people, real events. And then at the center of the story, you have these two fictional characters. So it's like, for a costume designer, it's incredible to exercise both muscles and, and really, like, find out from Quentin... And also in the fitting room with Leo and Brad of, like, who these guys are, this amalgamation of guys we all know about or we've read about. Um, and that was just, it was amazing, like, to be able to have costumes in the movie, you know, with a stuntman wearing the same thing as the lead man that's actually going to be shown on film at the same time. I mean, it's just like you're pinching yourself. Hey, can, I, can I add a story that, like, we're talking about Leo was saying, well, he gave us these chapters of our characters that told all this history of who we did and what, what we did and stuff. Uh, there was one thing that I kind of figured out for Cliff's character that's kind of a... a uh, if you've seen the movie, it's kind of a nice little thing to add on to it uh, that you would never know unless I tell you, is um, 
uh, we've talked in, in the press about how uh, we were kind of really inspired by uh, Tom Laughlin's character Billy Jack a little bit as this concept, like almost like you could imagine Tom Laughlin playing this character if you did it in 1971 or 69. So the thing is, though, now Rick's character actually knows Tom Laughlin. They they worked together in their early days, and so before Tom Laughlin did Billy Jack, he did for AIP uh, the first character, the first version of Billy Jack was a biker movie called The Born Losers, and he was the director of it and he was the star of it. So Cliff doubled a, a biker guy in the movie called Gang Green, played by Jeff Cooper. So he he was his he was his stunt guy on on Bounty Law. But then what happened, uh, I mean, Bounty on uh, Born Losers. But then what happened on the Born Losers is uh, Tom Laughlin's uh, stunt double broke his shoulder on the last week. And, 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 and he knows Tom because he knows Rick. And so they go to, they go to Clip, hey, look, uh, Tom lost his stunt guy. So would you fill in for the Billy Jack uh, stunt role for the last week of the shoot? And Clip goes, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. So when they finish... Well, he was just doubling a, a stunt guy before. Now he's doubling the lead. And then they go, okay, look, here's the deal. We're, you know, we're a low-budget movie. So you've got, you got two choices. We can give you $500 cash for that week for doubling uh, 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 Tom as Billy Jack. Or you can keep the wardrobe. <laughs> you can keep the Billy Jack outfit. And so Cliff took the outfit because <laughs> he likes the outfit. So when he walks into Musso in France... He's not just dressed like Billy Jack. He's actually dressed in Billy Jack's wardrobe. <laughs> That's right. Every day was like this. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, so first of all, thank you so much for today's community. Please stay seated while we exit. Thank you very much for that. Ladies guys, everybody, thanks thank for coming you. out. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for thank watching you Collider Video. You it, <laughs> thank you, man. You got it. <laughs>
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.